Oh, it is that time once again, Disruptive AF, your edge of innovation right here with, yes, yours truly, Kinsley Jordan, Trigger Jordan, whatever you want to call me, I'll answer to pretty much anything. Could not be more pumped to have you with us today as we are getting right to the edge of what future developments are the truth of what is actually happening at Forks Agility Prime, we have none other than the commander of Death 62, working with the development of electric vertical and takeoff landing capability right here on Disruptive AF. I'm telling you, you need to get ready, share it with your friends, like it, follow wherever you're watching this from, whatever medium you're consuming this with, just realize if you're listening to audio, you can go over to YouTube right at Morpheus AF and join us there because we got Don Stryker Haley coming up right now in Disruptive AF. I just, I just gotta tell you, I just gotta tell you, Striker. This gets me so excited. It really does. It truly, it truly does. Because when he, uh, oh, uh, hold on, hold on. I won't even dive into it. Listen, Striker, Haley, uh, Commander, Colonel, uh, Death sixty two. You, your, your resume precedes you, uh, and and just tells the true story of why you're doing it in the spot, doing what you're doing. Uh, first off, if you don't mind, a little bit about, about your background as an F-15 uh, uh, evaluator, instructor, uh, and what led you to this place, because really a lot of people, they say, Death 62 Trigger, what are you talking about? Like, you had too much coffee this morning. So first off, welcome to Disruptive AF, and tell us a little bit about yourself, Striker. Uh, Trigger, it's good to be here, man. Thanks for the... Uh enthusiasm this morning it reminds me uh, that i have a great great job uh so thank you for much for that so boy how did i get here i'll make uh the early part of the story pretty quick i suppose so um went to vanderbilt university and uh, did my rotc there commissioned uh, with the pilot training shepherd air force base stayed on as a t-38 instructor um and i was fortunate enough to transition to the uh this mighty strike eagle where i spent most of my career uh, there, um, several deployments. I was a DO of the 492nd commander of the, uh, Lancers, the 333rd, um, had a, went to ACSC, went to school, did a tour out in Korea, um, where I did war plans at Yongsan, transitioned from there to, uh, SDE school. I went to, uh, a, uh, SAMS, so, for, but for the old guys. Uh, so the fellowship program there where they make strategists, um, that led me to the building three years in the Pentagon where I started getting some of this future stink on me, uh, worked in Air Force Futures and before that AFWIC um, as we transitioned uh, working with General Highnote, um, was privileged to be the lead war gamer for the Air Force, uh, working future force design, uh, working at DARPA as well and uh, working in that kind of future tech space, uh, opened some relationships and doors uh, when this opportunity came to stand up this detachment, uh, kind of had an inside edge uh, through some uh, folks I knew. And here I am in a JBSA uh, with uh, Detachment 62 now. That is, uh, oh my gosh, man. That, that That's not only the background, but honestly, when you think about what what that combination of experience, what that combination of, of um, 
insight perspective strategy of all those pieces coming together. There's a book that I love that I feel like talks about people just like you and just like me and several other people. It's called Range by uh, David Epstein that, uh, that talks about, man, the generalist. Like, yeah, we have our focus, but you have all of these different uh, experiences that you have. And it, it, it's almost like it just kind of grooms you and prepares you unknowingly, at least for myself. You probably knew the whole time, but I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unknowingly, you get prepared for these these uh, opportunities and then you step into it. So Death 62, uh, talking about electric vertical takeoff and landing. I'm, I, for those who maybe don't know, um, really, this is kind of a product of Agility Prime through AFWorks, one of those core uh, uh, columnar capabilities. Could you talk to just a little bit about that, of the importance of what that is and how this opened up the opportunity of what debt 62 is doing yeah so talk about ev tolls in general um there's so electric vertical takeoff and landing it's an emerging industry it's enabled by a lot of uh technologies really kind of scaling out of drones and what we've seen was small uas so distributed electric propulsion uh, you start scaling that up at, and uh, being able to have the battery capability and the uh the automation and augmentation required to uh, have the safety required to be able to start carrying passengers and cargo and working in what a lot of people talk about uh, urban air mobility or advanced air mobility. Um, so this uh, space is a is a giant growing sector in the economy. Um, a lot of different projections, you know, as with any new technologies, sometimes uh, people over promise, maybe under deliver. But I think that there's real promise in this industry and it's really going to be very disruptive. And the big idea, what's disruptive about it is that it's cheap. Yeah. So um, we start hearing about the idea of democratizing air travels. So you see the picture of the Joby S4 there, yeah. which is being built uh, with uh, Uber Elevate um, and looking about doing passenger carrying operations. I think the Joby tagline is save a, a billion people an hour a day. Um, so doing that, but being able to make the price point where, you know, maybe if you were landing in somewhere at LaGuardia, need to get to Manhattan, uh, comparable to what a, um, a ground Uber ride would be take an air Uber ride, save yourself uh, 50 minutes. Wow. So it's, and it's really the cost, you know, now when you apply that, not only to passenger carrying, but you apply that to cargo, it becomes pretty interesting. And then when you start looking at the scale the industry wants to go to, so a lot of these companies are talking about building airplanes on a scale that we build automobiles. And yeah. so if you're if you're in aerospace, if you work in this industry, you see how disruptive that could be by having, you know, no kidding, Jetson-like capability of thinking about the Jetsons and flying cars that some, some people talk about. Um that becomes really disruptive. And now when you start talking about moving cargo and what you can do with that, um, really it's just like how small UASs have changed so much. I mean, they have utility. We see them being used right now in Ukraine for combat roles, but then you see commercial utility. Like I know that my insurance adjuster used a drone when we had damage done to our roof and did our entire neighborhood after a hailstorm, And that used to take weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> When you take you take those kind of ideas and small UES and you start thinking about this industry as it starts hitting the street 2023, 2024, um, it's going to be very interesting. And from the Air Force perspective, you know, we want to be in on that. Um, that's going to give us not replacement capability. You know, you're not going to use this to replace cargo carrying birds we have, but brand new, different capability, agility, uh, things that we'll be able to do will be very, very interesting. So um, it's an exciting industry to be a part of. 
Yeah, it, 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 the mind, my mind goes wild when I think about this. Uh, I don't know if you know Zen Schmidt. He's a, he's a, yeah. yeah, of course you do. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. It, it was actually with a conversation with him. For the listeners or viewers, if you don't know Zen Schmidt, if you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. But he's <laughs> he's a legend inside inside himself. But he uh, something he said, uh, man, it was probably a year ago. Completely took me, caught me off guard because they they have a they have a tail dragger plane. They like flying around and in general aviation. I started getting more kind of intuitive, just like for the fun of it. Since I've transitioned jobs, just to be able to keep flying. And uh, he said something that really took me back. Where he was like, he said, in the next ten years, it's very possible and most likely probable that you, it may be cheaper for you to be able to get the vehicle than it will be to get the certification to fly it. And I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what? What? What are you talking about? What, Zen, what are you talking about? How is, that, how is that even a possibility? But when you look at not only the capability of what these vehicles ha- are able to do, but just the whole drone quad, whether it's quad or just what they're able to do and then you integrate ai into it of machine learning and the capabilities that it's able to identify tag and track and 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 recognize things it's looking for i mean the possibilities are endless from from uh forest fighting to law enforcement to i mean you name it you could literally do exactly what you're talking about i i think it was about not even a year ago um one of my friends started doing uh drone photography for uh, real estate and became one of the leading real estate individuals around because how they were presenting the homes that they were selling just from this grandiose view. I mean, the possibilities are endless, but in order to get there, uh, people like you, not, not actually people like you, you <laughs> are, are developing, you and your team are developing that pa- pathway of saying, okay, how do we do this? Uh, how do we get there? So uh, I know we have several pictures, but when you, when you stepped into this role uh, as a commander of Debt 62, um, people, a lot of times when you think about innovation, they're like, oh man, it's gotta be easy. Well, actually it's very hard because it's all gray space. Like there are no necessary, you know, the knowns are right there with the unknowns and you think you know something and then it turns out not to be true. So how have you and you and your team at Desiccity, how have you approached that, uh, in stepping into truly like a completely new world of capabilities of certification of really paving a way for this? Loaded question. Good luck. Ready no, that's <laughs> no, a great question. And it's, it's the right question, Trigger. It's the right question. And for people that are interested in the innovation space, like trying to navigate the grayness, you have to, first of all, be comfortable in that. Um, but I think a lot of it is keeping the broader, the broader strategic purpose. So Agility Prime, you know, we work with Agility Prime. I serve at the, for ATC and for General Web. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working the training piece of this, but the broader perspective, the broader purpose of the program is to help accelerate the market. So where does government, um, where can government partnerships help the industry? Now, what we don't want to do is slow the industry down because they're moving much faster than the government can. But where I can look at is look at where does the government training piece of this, where can my team bring specific value proposition that doesn't slow and down and, but helps, you know, and, so one of the things that we've looked at is, you know, part of my job is to help develop curriculum. And one of the questions that we have when you look at these vehicles, uh, some of the first manned versions that are being produced, um, they take off like helicopters, they fly like airplanes, and there's a lot of 
of reports that have been written. A lot of people that have looked at um, these operations and, and hypothesized that they will be simpler. So it'd be, it should be easier to train relatively easier than say, for instance, going to learn how to fly a Robinson 22 helicopter, um, learning how to fly one of these vehicles. Uh, it's intended to be safe. It's intended to be passenger carrying. It should be more simple. So how do we define what that simplicity is? So we have designed an experiment that we're running right now where we're actually running um, subjects through. So people with a lot of aviation experience and zero aviation experience, and we're measuring how quickly they are able to adapt to doing stick and rudder skills. Yeah. Um, and as they learn that, then we can, we're capturing that data and then we're going to have some hard quantitative data that will show you that you can competently learn how to fly one of these aircraft in X amount of time. And that means that there is a reduction in X amount of hours and training burden. Um, and, and we're going to provide that data from our study to all the OEMs, to the industry, uh, to NASA, to the FAA. And I think that that will help us be able to make some informed data-driven decisions about our curriculum development. So that's a great space. We just kind of invented that uh, experiment um, and there's a lot of interest in it. And it's already think, driving a lot of value, a lot of relationships, a lot of uh, newness. So that's the kind of the space that we find ourselves in. That, that is so interesting. That is so interesting. I, I did not realize the approach that you were talking about until you just said this and, and over, oh gosh, I did it right. I always get backwards. Over in this picture, you can see you were talking about, hey, it takes off like a helicopter, flies like an aircraft. So this is you guys actually watching. Was this a manned or unmanned uh, test flight? Yeah, so this is an exciting one to talk about. So this is uh, the Kitty Hawk um, heavy side. And it, this is actually the first uh, Air Force operation of an EV tall aircraft. So what we uh, went out there, we're doing what we call a buddy box. So it's a remote operation. So you see um, Terrence McKenna there is in the near part of the photo. He is uh, one of the test pilots for the Agility Prime program. We worked with Kitty Hawk to come up with a, a, a transition uh, curriculum. So looking at the, the ground control pieces of this, you know, what that coordination looks like, and then working with the, this buddy box. So on the left is one of the chief pilots from Kitty Hawk, who's uh, kind of a safety observer here. And we have Terrence out there learning how to take off and land the aircraft. Um, and so some of those initial stages of what does this look like? This aircraft will eventually be an autonomous that's the vision for it. So autonomous passenger carrying operations, which is pretty disruptive. But what's great is building building that relationship with the OEM. And even though this is a, a prototype, it's not a, uh, a go-to-market aircraft yet, we're getting some very early insights into what those operations may look like. So even though this curriculum we helped develop just for a test pilot is not going to be what we eventually go to market with, um, that learning that happens in parallel. So we're doing parallel learning so that when it's time to go to market, you know, we've already thought about a lot of the background of what this might look like. So it's working in that, those really early stages, even when we're in prototype stage of thinking about what operations will look like, what the Air Force use cases are, and then, you know, what that training is going to look like, what the air traffic control piece. I mean, we actually, the, more of autonomous operations are going to have to do with how we deconflict in the airspace. So that gets us into a lot of different conversations where we need to understand the development of these things. And so yeah. um, those conversations have to happen now. That will affect the training. But if we're not a part of those conversations now, we'll be way behind. So oh, man. Uh, being, in, being in early in the game is really key. I... 
Jeez. I feel like this should be part one of 97 podcast <laughs> because I, I still got to go back to the previous thing that I got. I went tangential on uh, because it was the concept that you were talking about. You're building this for the creation and the, in the, the ignition of an industry. So when you were talking about, Hey, we're going to share this. It, it honestly, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when you're like, wait a minute, you're going to share this with who, but that's the point of this, right? Is to be able to drive an industry to start creating these capabilities. So when you're talking about this test that you're, you're going to share with you know, industry, commercial NASA, you know, anybody who's interested in, you know, some of the prime contractor, what the, the, the point of this is to be able to get information out there so people can consume it and say, okay, great. We have, we have an ability, uh, Knowing this information, knowing this is how an, an ability or an, a way to be able to train, to be able to teach people to use this. The hope, the expectation is to motivate an entire industry to get around this and to energize yourselves because other countries, we'll just leave this with this. Other countries are doing that. Other countries That's right. have caught this when, you know, they've caught, they've caught the energy of this mm, a while ago. Yeah, they did. And, you know, that's the, the broader perspective uh, of the program of Agility Prime is making sure that we have a strong U.S. industrial base. So yeah. with this growing sector in the economy, both the world economy and our own, you know, we, we want U.S. companies to be a part of it. We want them to be profitable. We want them to be successful because that's good for our broader industrial base. And if you're an airman and you love air power, then you know when you have a whole segment of the economy that's growing, uh, we want to be a part of that. We want to be able to tap into that, and that gives us a lot of strategic options as this segment of the economy grows, and it gives us new capabilities. Uh, like you said, some that we haven't even dreamed of yet yeah. moving into the future, and certainly moving away from the largest user of fossil fuels on the planet, the United States Air Force. So we can start getting away from that. Uh, that's going to give us some different strategic flexibility that. Uh, our air force and our country needs it's huge it's exciting i'm telling you man i could talk about this all day long listen that's segment one stick with us right here on disruptive af we're going to be right back with this guy boom dawn striker haley commander death 62 right here on disruptive af We are back, Disruptive AF. Kinsley Jordan, Trigger Jordan, right here. Your edge of innovation with truly, literally the edge of innovation right now. Back with Striker Haley, Commander Death 62, working EVTOL, Agility Prime, all things future industry development right here. Uh, and, and, and as we just left off, we talked about, you know, this development of this industry, this development of this uh, mindset. Other countries, you know, we talked about, hey, they, they had started into it. They started the development. Uh, but but really, it's not just focusing on, yes, what they're doing, but also the revelation of, hey, we're, we're in this, like we're in the game now. And from that, there have been some major wins that have taken place. Just, you know, previously, we were just talking about in the last two months, you guys have had some major wins all the way across the board, not only developmentally, but also some real benchmarks. So uh, if you want to, I want to throw this picture up there so we can kind of start uh, start from the target and work backwards because this was a recently a huge win for you guys, right? Bam! People have probably seen that picture sitting around on the uh, cover of EVTOL magazine and several other aviation magazines. Uh, would you tell us about it? Because there's a lot that went behind this to make this moment happen. 
Right, yeah, you bet. So this uh, picture is depicting the first Air Force manned eVTOL flight. So a lot of things working up to this. Obviously, this is with the uh, Beta, Aaliyah, the company Beta. Um, and you see one of our Air Force test pilots with the uh, lead uh, test pilot there at Beta uh, Technologies. And so obviously big win uh, for the Agility Prime program, a uh, big win for um, uh, Beta and the Beta team in this case. Um, yeah. this, the partnership that we're developing. So we talked in the last podcast about how important uh, building relationships are. Um, you know, we've been uh, building and curating this relationship with this company from the very beginning. And this is just one of those strategic wins and, you know, starting to open the door, getting the developmental test pilot uh, into the aircraft as we get into the next stages of their um, development with this uh, advanced prototype. Um, and then as they start getting closer to market, then you're, we're going to be ready from a training perspective uh, to start catching and uh, training some of the first Air Force pilots of uh, the Beta Alia aircraft. So, so when you when you talk about training the uh, the first Air Force pilots, is there already? And maybe this isn't. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't uh, say. But what in in what realm for what is this for? Like security, you know, security is this for capability? Actual capability? Are we just going to start training pilots to be able to say, hey, okay, we have these people who can fly it and kind of understand the capability? Or can you talk to that? Yeah, I can talk to so broadly. So there's. Um, with this space, we actually conducted a study. So we had uh, a bunch of fellows. So from the different major commands around the Air Force. So we had Air Mobility Command, Air, Com Air Combat Command, obviously Air Force Material Command, uh, and others all, all join in and a team. And they did an assessment of different use cases for the different emerging eVTOLs. We looked at primarily some of the more um, mature ones that are getting closer to transition. And there's a ton of different uh, things we could use them for. The most important thing to think about is not a replacement capability. So I, I don't think that eVTOLs are going to necessarily always replace programs of record. They're going to give us completely different capabilities. Initially, to get the first couple out the door, we're looking at some replacement capabilities. So things like DV airlift, obviously moving people around, things like moving people around nuclear airfields, like replacing what some of the helicopters do. Yeah. Uh, range maintenance, being able, like we have huge ranges that are hard to maintain, hard to get out and uh, targets. Moving around um, threat emitters uh, are some of the things that we looked at. And then also with um, uh, Air Combat Command, we've talked and thought a lot about the concept of ACE, so agile combat employment, being able to have maybe a wing level asset that you could very quickly move maintenance response teams, uh, pieces, parts, and people uh, whenever airplanes have to divert. Um, and so uh, that becomes an interesting capability. So some of these first use cases, like that DV airlift, range maintenance, potentially ACE, you're going to see some continuing experimentation and yeah. validation of some of those use cases as we start onboarding some of these vehicles, leasing, and then procuring them starting next summer. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's wild. So for, from, from, I guess, what I say from tip to tail, like when you talk about, Hey, this began to, Hey, we're leasing vehicles to, Hey, we're going to have qualified certified air force pilots in these vehicles that are able to use them for, you know, the capabilities you talked about, uh, and, and mm -hmm. ones yet to be to de determined. This has been what, two years total. Yeah. Well, well, the Agility Prime program, yeah, so like some of the OEMs, they, they've been around a little bit longer. You know, usually the ones that are a little bit more advanced, obviously it takes years to develop this technology. But the Agility Prime program and building that relationship 
and then doing some of the airworthiness pieces because even before that beta test happened, there had to be an airworthiness process, have to be a safety review board. There's a lot of uh, work that goes along uh, before you just throw someone in the, in the seat there. Um, so, but to move that quickly in two years um, is actually is moving really fast. And it's the OEM's credit. They're the ones moving quickly. We're just trying to stay out of their way and partner and provide value streams where we can uh, agility prime is. And I think we've been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who may not understand OEM, what, what is OEM and how does that, how does that oh, so, help this process? Yeah. Original equipment manufacturers. So I'm talking about the specific companies and like when we're talking about beta, beta being the uh, original equipment manufacturer yeah. or uh, Joby earlier on. So Lyft, um, Kitty Hawk, they're some of the partners that uh, we have in the Agility Prime program. Yeah. So going back to you, and, and if you're watching, if you're listening to this on audio, you're missing out. You need to go over to MorpheusAF.com so you can see on YouTube because we got some awesome pictures. I'll do the best I can to pictorially describe what you're seeing. But uh, this is a, it looks like an image of, of the team with one of the vehicles there, um, uh, probably, I'm assuming, after a test flight. But as you're talking about OEM, it really goes back to uh, the, the previous discussion about the importance of the relationships of having a, a fluid uh, and open communication both directions to be able to enable them to rapidly develop and then for us, the military, rapidly integrate those capabilities they've developed. So with this picture, uh, is this after a test flight? Because formerly the previous picture was about the win, the first manned flight that we that uh, with the test pilots in it, but there was a lot that led up to it. I'm assuming this is one of those pictures. Yeah, this is another win. This was um, actually before... Uh, the beta test flight. This is the Kitty Hawk company, and this is their prototype uh, heavy side two aircraft. Wow. Um, and this was actually one of the first we have what's we have a, a team um, and their purpose is to help think about these use cases and design some experiments uh, for validating Air Force use cases. In this case, this was a, a, a exercise where we looked at using uh, this vehicle or a vehicle like this to do um, a, like personnel recovery. So this was a personnel recovery exercise. And what's significant about this, talking about the relationships, several people standing in the background is you've got Air Force Research Laboratories, Air Force Material Command, Air Combat Command. We've got wing level uh, people. So going way down deep in the organization brings some, some very specific personnel recovery expertise as we were uh, evaluating the use case here. Um, and then, of course, working with Kitty Hawk, the OEM, the company partners there. So a very flat organization bringing, bringing in a lot of different folks as we uh, started assessing that. And this was one of our first of many experiments where we're looking at use cases. And this is, this is what's unique about this space that we're working in is we're not defining military requirements. We're looking at a commercial capability and then we're assessing, hey, what could we use this to do? Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of a different approach. Um, and that's what this picture is really talking about the story it's telling. Wow. Okay. I got to pause you there because in my, in my mind, mind, you, uh, come from a background, F-15 instructor, evaluator, ton of experience in the 15E. Has this been a hard transition for you to, to say, okay, I'm not focused on the military application, just I'm focused on the development, the integration, we're creating an industry. Have you like caught yourself kind of going back to the old mission mindset and then be like, no, no, striker, I can't do it. I got, I got to stay here. Or has that been like an easy transition for you? Because I mean, you're in, you're in new territory. Everywhere you go is a new step. Every inch you take is a no, new, I... is a new, <laughs> new inch taken. <laughs> 
No, that's, that's a great question. And um, I mean, for me, I've personally enjoyed it. Um, I, before I came to this job, I, we talked about in the last podcast, I, I worked three years in the Pentagon and Air Force Futures. So my job was looking 20 years in the future and looking at emerging technologies and designing concepts for how to, how to use those, con- uh, those, those technologies. And so when I see something like this, I, I understand the intrinsic strategic value of building into this industry and I believe in it. And so um, it's one of those things, some of the measures of what values this will bring won't be really fully understood for another 20 years. Uh, but I look forward to sitting on my back porch 20 years from now and uh, reading the paper and, and maybe doing a podcast with you <laughs> and, and talking about, hey, what happened over the last 20 yeah. years? It's going to be really fun to see. By then, it'll be our own show, Striking the yeah, Trigger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Too good. Well, uh, you know, as you talk about this process of, of just the different companies, because until you were talking about this, uh, the, the Kitty Hawk, uh, what was this, the Kitty Hawk Heavy... Heavy side two. Heavy side two. So uh, it's not just one company. You're working with multiple different companies, which is so awesome because that really, again, amplifies the, the importance of it's building an industry. It's getting multiple different people, multiple different approaches, multiple different eyes, multiple different perspectives of truly saying, hey, if we're going to explore the depth and the breadth of this potential space and potential industry, we've got to be looking at it from all different angles, all different areas. And, and part of that is really the testing and development that you guys have been doing, uh, which in the last, uh, not to give the kit and caboodle away here, but, uh, you guys have done a lot of work in the last two months, <laughs> a lot of work starting, you know, with collecting data, with integrating that. And these are some of the pictures for those who are, who are not, uh, with us visually yet. Again, you can go over to YouTube, but, uh, this is a picture of, as I understand it, the, the simulator being backed in to your hangar, to your office. That's right. Yeah. This was uh, one of our first wins as a team. So, um, this is the uh, Joby S4 simulator. It's in a it's in a big semi truck, uh, and they're backing that into our hangar. So it's it's all set up. It actually has pop outs. Those the uh, the trailer actually pops out. It's a pretty cool concept. And so the simulator goes uh, is in that trailer, um, and so it's mobile, so they can take it. In fact, I think that simulator will actually make it up to Oshkosh for anyone who's going to go to the Oshkosh Air Show. But we're using that simulator now as a part of an experiment that we're running where we're trying to define the learnability of, of Joby and a few other uh, partners as well. We're trying to understand how these things are met and how they fly. They're, they're generally simple. It's easier to fly than a helicopter, easier to fly than a lot of airplanes. So we're just trying to quantify how much, and that way we can define what those training requirements uh, might look like. And in the midst of it, we're just learning a lot about the airplane and how it works uh, and a lot about the company as well. Wow, that's amazing. So so with this uh, creative ability, because again, I'm just going back to kind of the, the legacy mindset. Simulators were all in a building, uh, but everything you do has to be modular, replaceable. It looks like, and I'm going to put words in your mouth here, and then you can, if you don't like them, you can throw them away. But it, it seems like everything you're doing is saying, is saying, listen, we value the pro, we value the process, not what the end product is going to be. We value the process of creating a space and ability, and and we have to value the process more than the product. True, false, love, hate. No, I mean, I think there's there's some things when you don't really know where things are going. We talked about this in the last podcast of working in that gray space. So both of these simulators are actually on contract with. Um, and with Agility Prime, 
And it was one of those, when we built the contracts, we didn't really understand what we'd use the simulators for, but we're like, hey, we, we should have them be mobile. That way we can move them around and have some flexibility with them. And then the OEMs uh, went and, and built these. And it's one of those things I think we keep finding other uses for these. We keep finding new ways to use them. Um, so this experiment that we're running, had we not had that uh, ability to be able to be mobile, to be flexible, we wouldn't be able to conduct the experiment. So, yeah. you know, we wrote a contract, we, we, we have a mobile SIM capability now with an Agility Prime, um, and we did that not knowing what we would do with it. So kind of trusting that process of sometimes uh, there's, there's things that are going to happen, you're not really sure yet, you have to be comfortable with that, and then taking some of that amorphous material and then moving forward with it. Amorphous. I see what you did there. I like that. With you see what I did there? <laughs> I see. I see what you. Did. <laughs> I see what you did there. Again, not planned. The guy is just winging it, and he's winging it well. It's going well. Uh, so th that 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 process of, I mean, that's kind of a, it's kind of a wild thing to think about when you say, hey, you got to make decisions and not necessarily sure how that's going to work out, but it kind of makes sense just based on the experience experience you have. Kind of makes sense that we should do this. Um, how often do you find, are you finding the steps you've taken? You're like, mm, that was the wrong step. Shouldn't have done that. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> have you, have you had those moments where you're like, that was not what we thought? Well, I've had that since we started the, uh, since we started this organization about a year ago, um, there's been several, I would say false starts, like uh, poor assumptions where I, I thought that, you know, we would partner with with one OEM and that we would be buying them and they would be in our hangars, we'd be flying them and training people and it would all happen within six months. And then you find out that it's not happening that way or that the contract's not gonna work or that the airworthiness is not gonna work or there, there's a bump in the schedule or things like that. Um, or yeah. like we change priorities or the funding's not there, there's always something. And so when you're working in this space with you know more than 10 OEM partners and they're all moving at different paces, they're all moving really fast. And, you know, we're trying, we have a small team, two pizza box team is what I like to call it. Um, and we're trying to allocate our resources um, smartly. I've definitely put us down the path of doing some projects that we probably didn't need to do or we weren't quite ready for us, um, but we're learning. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I'm just going to say it because it's a consistent theme every time when we talk about uh, just on, on this podcast is it, those things that happen you learn from it, and then as you go forward, it hones you in closer and closer and closer to get more focused and more focused and more intentional. Uh, but those those corrective, you know, a two-degree course correction here, a two-degree course correction there, it may not seem like a lot, but in the end state, pfft, yeah, that is, a, that is a massive change if you are willing to make those adjustments and continue moving forward. And that's one thing that I feel like just in the innovation space as a whole, this is just my trigger's opinion, so people can take it or leave it, hate it or love it. It's just me. But I feel like this one thing that maybe would have helped a little bit early on when this innovation revitalization rebirth to the Air Force, I'd say over the last, I don't know, three years, that's what I'm calling it. I could be wrong, but I think it maybe it would have helped a little bit to say we expect the failure. We expect the pivots. We expect the, the adjustments. That's to be expected. And if you're not valuing those as, as really important milestones and checkpoints to make an adjustment if you're not valuing those but instead you're trying to avoid those then we're not actually getting out where we need to go maybe that's just me 
But I feel like that's really important to value those things. And it's really awesome seeing just as, as we're going even through those pictures, those adjustments being made because uh, the pictures that we're seeing here is probably iteration four in some capacity of, <laughs> of where you initially started in your mind with what could have been. So th this data that, that we're seeing in this picture, so it's a person in a simulator uh, flying, this data you're collecting, what it, you've talked about that a little bit, but what is that and what is that kind of scope and scale of this test? Yeah, so great question. So I'll walk you through what a day in the life looks like. So we um, are going to have a total of 80 subjects is what we have planned. Um, we bring in our, our subjects. They, we have 40 of them will be non-pilots, never flown anything ever, ever in their lives, ab initio. Um, and then 40 of them will be experienced aviators. Um, and what we're looking at is they'll come in, we do an assessment. Uh, we've partnered with the test pilot school. So we're going to assess um, the subject's uh, cognition, their motor skills, just try to see what the capacity of the human weapon system is. So we kind of get, we can draw some correlations between their capacity to perform and their actual performance. Now, once we finish that battery of tests, um, we have a, a two hour simulator pro profile. It's really fun. It's in uh, actually in Washington, DC. They take off out of Reagan, they land at the Capitol, um, at the Pentagon and at the White House simulating some DV movements in the capital region. But uh, it's, it's a fun profile, it's challenging, um, and we are collecting quantitative data how well can you perform hover tasks? How well can you uh, do a takeoff and transition from the helicopter to on the wing? How, how well can you land the aircraft? How well can you fly at low altitudes at different altitudes, conduct steep turns? So about 80% of basic flight tasks uh, we are assessing. Um, and they will do this profile four times. And we will, what we anticipate seeing and what we are seeing in our early parts of our study is a very quick learning curve um, where by the end of the profile, um, a lot of, of course, your experienced pilots generally are fairly competent at all basic flight tasks in the simulator. And even our ab initios are showing or demonstrating very quick competency. So as opposed to flying a, a Cessna, it might take you 15 or 20 hours to achieve basic flying competencies. Um, or in, like in a helicopter, like a uh, Robinson 22, it makes it take you on average about 15 hours to competently hover before you can go solo. You can achieve some level of competence uh, in very, very few hours. So I think that data will be really important as we start thinking about how much training will it take to achieve competency for my uh, experienced pilots so that I can then program the curriculum correctly. And then I can then program uh, what my transition courses are going to look like eventually. Wow. So that that data-driven approach is what we're trying to do. We're trying to give some data rather than just my SME assessment of, oh, this is easy. You should only need two rides instead of five. We're yeah. going to have a data-driven way of trying to determine that. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. You, I, uh, this, this next picture, in case you can't see, it's basically the, the, the beautiful polished metal emblem on the back. And I feel like this is the perfect transition from that data you're talking about to what does the future of this look like? Because on your patch, uh, uh, well, I won't ruin it for you. Your patch, you are very intentional with it, with what it says and what it what it signifies, which is awesome. If you don't mind, kind of telling us telling us about what that what that motto is and, and why, and then I'll get to my question after that. Yeah. So on our patch, um, the the top of it it says "Futurum nunc est." It's uh, Latin for "The future is now." So I think it's just this mentality that we want to have, a culture that we have on the team of, you know, this industry is moving quickly. 
but really we want to usher in a, a way of what the chief has said is accelerate change uh, or lose now. And so we're wanting to be a part of that acceleration to try to imagine what that future looks like and try to usher it in. Yeah. Into the now. So that being the case, you've talked about this competency-based training, which is very much what we, uh, what I and others who, who are kind of architects of UPT 2.5, which is a stepping stone in the whole process of pilot training transformation as a whole. One of the things we identified as well, competency-based training. Uh, and the assumptions, our assumptions of how that transition would look were actually very incorrect. There was some things we learned that we were like, my gosh, like this is, uh, these metrics don't actually measure what we should be measuring, you know, in that process. But what do you see through this since the future is now? What do you see the future of this being in the next five years, in the next 10 years? We kind of, you, I felt like you alluded to it at the beginning, but but what, is, what does Striker actually think? Like if you were, if you were placing bets, not actual bets, mm -hmm. but if you were placing developmental economic industry impact bets, what do you see the future being since it's, you know, happening now? Yeah, that's a great Developing. question, Trigger. So I, I, I think that there's, you know, in this space, um, every one of the companies is all, they're all going after some different kind of concepts or different use cases, uh, which actually is great for us because we get a great variety of potential capabilities that we could use in the Air Force. Um, I see some of our first transitionable, like the first commercial wins are probably going to be manned eVTOL just because the broader uh, airspace system is not quite ready for large scale automation. Right. So I think some of your first actual operations of eVTOLs are likely to be manned and there will be some autonomous, you know, kind of on the side, but like large scale autonomous operations in urban air environments is going to take a little time for us to get to. And I think most people would agree with that. But where the Air Force gets kind of an interesting use of this is I see us playing for the industry. We, we get to be kind of risk reduction because of our airworthiness uh, processes and because we can fly in restricted airspaces and we already have expertise flying unmanned aircraft, remotely operated aircraft. Um, there's a potential where we we get to use and leverage some of these manned versions and you know get early use cases of them before they even go to market right. and so that will bring that will bring some risk reduction for the industry and build confidence in consumers when they see that you know the air force is confidently you know leveraging this technology to achieve some of our own objectives that will help for commercialization and then i think we we can help with those autonomous bits too because you know, we have that expertise, we have the range airspace to do some of these experiments and to start proving this out and building some of that data that the FAA is going to need to be able to validate the safety of these before we start putting, you know, people in autonomous aircrafts for, uh, for taxis. So I think the Air Force can play a really important role in that as a neutral party, um, but also as a risk reduction for the industry and helping out there. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That sounds, uh, I, f I feel, it, this is just my perspective, but I, I feel like this is a really, really good forcing function for when you talk about airlines, general aviation, whatever it is. Uh, airlines, I mean, it's no shock that, that the world is in need of pilots, especially in the airlines. The latest thing I heard was something like 20,000 20, pilots short or something to that effect. Um, in the airlines for a while, I've been talking about going to single pilot operations with, you know, uh, 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 video video monitoring or, or some way of assisted monitoring. Maybe this is a good forcing function to say, listen, here's a completely different perspective, a different way of training, a different way of thinking uh, 
And I wonder what impact that's going to have. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what it's going to be? But that's truly, without the work that you and your team do at Desk 62, there's no way that would be the case that we would be seeing these things happening and preparing. So with our parting shot, as we, as you, uh, uh, I don't have a, a cool whim of vertical takeoff transitioning to, to level flight there as we get ready to close out disruptive AF uh, for this awesome awesome session that we've had with you what what is one thing that you would just share with people and say hey listen if you're in the innovation space uh, I would encourage you with this to what what is what does striker have for the for the innovators for the wannabe innovators for the entrepreneurs out there in the Air Force DoD innovation ecosystem it's hard to get away from what we just said on the winning with Zay is I would say, don't lose heart. Uh, keep going, keep trying, never give up because yeah. I think it can be really, it can be a hard space to work in that people it's a space because it's great because it's undefined. Um, some people are really uncomfortable with that, especially people that don't work in the innovation space and that are, have a hard time seeing some of the values that come out of it. So don't lose heart. Keep trying, you know, and realize that uh, it's this attitude, it's this culture that the Air Force needs more of. And so yeah. if anything, if all of your experiments fail, if all you do is help change culture and change attitudes, then you've done a tremendous service for the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Could not agree more. Striker, listen, thank you so much. There he is. The man, if you're watching on video, if you're not watching on video, well, you really missed it. You need to go over to you need to go over to YouTube and watch on video. Because there's so much uh, that, that that has been discussed, talked about, the capabilities. Truly, I feel like this is the forward edge of of what we can see, what we're gonna be seeing uh, really moving forward. So Striker, thank you so much to you at Debt 62 and everybody under your command at this moment. Thanks so much for the work you do, and thanks for joining us right here on Disruptive AF. It's been a blast. Thank you, friend. Thanks, Trigger. Yeah, absolutely. We will see you later. Listen, thank you so much to all, all of you, the viewers, the listeners, the watchers, the contributors. And I just want to encourage you, listen, right here at the edge of innovation, it's uncomfortable. It's frustrating. Sometimes it can be fuzzy. You don't know what the direction is, but you got to stay in the game. Just as Stryker was talking about. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Keep moving. We value the process, not the, just the in-state product. We value the process of getting there. Thanks for joining us. And again, if you haven't done it yet, make sure you subscribe, follow along right here. Disruptive AF brought to you by Morpheus. See y'all later.